thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. A small percentage. Let me tell you just a little bit about who we are and how that how, how what Bill said is really exciting. We are a Christian school that is, and we're located in Crestwood, and you may say, no, Glenn, you're in Palos Heights. We used to be in Palos Heights, but we moved without moving, and we're now in Crestwood. So, but um, we are a Christian school that is 98% state-funded. And you say, what the world does that mean? God has given us an incredible opportunity in the fact that as Elam evolved, we were started in the basement of a uh, uh, parsonage of a CRC pastor in Englewood, and he had a son born with Down syndrome. He started, he started the process, started the school from scratch uh, 74 years ago, and as we've evolved, the, the public schools came to us and said, hey, we've got kids with profound disabilities that we can't handle. Can you guys help us? Now you saw the buses. We have um, kids bust in from about 90 school districts come into our facility every day, and we get to tell them about the Lord, we get to help the family with their disability, and we have countless stories of families that have found the Lord who came to us because of something that was terrible and been able to be blessed. And that's in the school. We have about 225 students, ranging from 3 to 22. In our adult services program, we have about 250 adults, ranging from 22 on up to, we have folks in their 80s dealing with all the type of stuff that we would normally, you know, as you get older, aches and pains, dementia, everything along those lines, plus a disability. That's where I spend the majority of my time, because that that side of the house is not nearly as well funded. And what we do, basically, is we work on the um, premise of Ephesians 2, verse 10. That says, we're all created in God's image with good works that he's created in advance for us to do. And what Elam does with our adults is we're out and doing mission work in the community. So we have the opportunity um, that said, they talked about Hope Packs. Hope Packs is school supplies that we have given to approximately 13,000 children across the Chicagoland area this year. Some of them right here in Lansing. And what's really cool is, is about 80 to 90% of those Hope Packs are given with a church or a mission partner right alongside. So our adults are out working in the community, they assemble the Hope Packs, they give them to to kids that are less fortunate, and then the churches have the opportunity to to present the gospel. I had the opportunity, we we work with an organization called Chicagoland Prison Outreach, and CPO works in Cook County Jail, and we gave about 750 kits over the last two, three years to the families of the CPO um, inmates that were, that CPO was working with in the prison. In talking to all the pastors of the distribution churches, we've had about 15 to 25 families come to the Lord because of Hope Packs, because of just a small box of school supplies. So people that are, people that typically society would set aside and say, hey, they're not, they're not worth anything, are actually doing the work of missions right out front and showing everybody what's going on. In addition, we also work with churches, and Michelle and I have been talking. We have what we call the five stages of disability awareness. And basically what that is, it's a book, and it's a, it's a 
program that my, my manager has written that talks about how we as a church can become more open and accommodating to people with disabilities and what we can do. And so I'm excited. I've got some information about that out, out in front and look forward to having you sharing. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Look forward to see how God's going to develop the partnership. And thank you very much. Glenn will be out in the hallway. Did you say that? Glenn will be out in the hallway, take some information. Elam is a phenomenal ministry that deserves our support, institutionally and individually. And so uh, do just engage your heart in what's going on with them. Amen? Thank you, Glenn. Thanks for being here. Um, I want to introduce briefly uh, Doug and Sandra and Emily. Are you guys coming up? Yeah, who wouldn't? I would. I've been sitting there all day. It's been really nice. So this is Sandra and this is Emily. Doug is a, a friend of mine and of this church. He um, and Sandra are just lovely, wonderful folks. Um, they pastor a church in St. Louis, which is part of our network of churches, LifeLink Network of Churches. Um, and so they've got a great, incredible expression of Christ there. They just a wonderful ministry, a wonderful church. I've been down there before. Um, Doug also heads up kind of the, the leadership of the U.S. churches, and so he's been serving us in a lot of great and wonderful ways. So as he comes this morning, welcome him, open your heart, and um, participate with him in this sermon. Don't be a spectator. Let your heart engage. Let your mouth say amen, and welcome him as he comes. what, if I lived in Chicago, I would be involved with Elam Ministry. Man, that is fantastic. Uh, in essence, what Glenn presented to us today was the sermon that I'm going to preach. And this, it sounds to me that as though this is an organization that has worked hard to, uh, to figure out what the needs are and how special needs people can be such a central part of the church. So um, certainly if I was in Chicago, I would be part of Elam and Make sure you work your way down to St. Louis, please, Glenn. We could use you there. Uh, my name is Doug. This is my wife, Sandra. This is Emily. I'm sure you'll hear her probably talking throughout the sermon. She doesn't catch the etiquette cues. At, at times when I've been preaching before, she's gotten herself a little bit exercised. and So uh, just bear with us today, and she may come in and out a little bit. Well, there we go. Uh, I can't think of a better sermon series. Yeah, I think Em's going to go sit in the back. There you go, Em. I can't think of a better sermon series for you guys than a bruised reed. Coming right out of Isaiah 42. And then picked up by Jesus as he's doing the miracles before those people that needed it so bad in that ancient Near East. 
We read the words that an abused reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Of course, that comes to us in the passage of Isaiah 42 saying that ultimately he'll bring justice to the whole world. So the end in all that Jesus is going to do is the salvation of all of the nations. And I love the way that that is put to us. And so as we approach this topic, I'm going to just read one passage of Scripture to you with a brief introduction and then give you the story of M and Sandra and how Emily has been such a huge part of the body of Christ in St. Louis where we're a part of at Main Street Church. So Father, help us today as we, as we approach this subject. We know how much it's on your heart. We know how profound it is for the kingdom of God to be brought to and to come from those with profoundly special needs, those who are minimized in the eyes of the world, but precious and glorious in your sight. I pray that you move on all of our hearts, move in us enough not to just have sentiments toward people with special needs, but to do something, to have actions. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. My premise today is that the kingdom of God is not just for the bruised reed and the smoldering wick, but the kingdom of God actually comes through them. That the kingdom of God actually comes through them to us. Both those who heal and those who are being healed are participatory agents in the kingdom of God. Thus, all God's, in all of God's kingdom, there is not victims or heroes, but all people working together to see the body grow in love as each, each joint supplies the grace of God for the body to grow. Now, this is kind of a, moder- uh, a weird sentiment for those of us who are modern Westerners. It's a strange sensibility because we tend to evaluate ourselves and others in perspectives that don't always that generally do, in fact, involve an immediate production, right? We evaluate one another by what we can produce, or we evaluate one another by what we can consume, and we call those quality of life issues. So that's one of the debates that you'll hear oftentimes in in dealing and funding for people with profound special needs or those that are aging, particularly that, that need help is, well, what's their quality of life? Now, I don't want to diminish, diminish that altogether. There's a point to that. But if quality of life is the only way that we're going to evaluate life, and quality of life is determined by what we can consume with, with goods or experiences, or quality of life is what we can produce with our vocation, then, then we are in a society that is not going to value special needs or disenfranchised people in any way, shape, or form. And so one of the things that Christians have done, certainly, is we have introduced this term to uh, challenge the quality of life idea. And the term that we've brought is sanctity of life, right? That all people, because they are made in the image of God, uh, therefore have a God-given privilege, a God-given role, a God-given beauty that we need to uh, recognize and address. And I want to say that's true. That is absolutely true. 
Uh, and the sanctity of life issue, uh, the campaigns that we've seen, I think are really important to let us, to let the culture know that we are image bearers and that all people deserve protection and dignity. But for our purposes today, I want to insert something beyond just the sanctity of life issue, and it was brought up in that beautiful video, Glenn, that people with special needs don't even go beyond just the sanctity of life issues, but people with special needs have a purpose and meaning in life, not just as image bearers, but as conduits of the grace of God, particularly to the body of Christ. In other words, some of the people that you may not recognize as as meaningful participants in the body of Christ, as those who really change the body of Christ and bring the kingdom, you wonder, well, how do they bring the kingdom? I, I want to pose to you that they are central, central in seeing the kingdom of God formed in us. And there are special needs people that you may not know it yet, But I I bet you that the Holy Spirit is doing something in this church, it seems as though it is, that is going to mean the grace of God is going to come to you in new ways. And part of your own development in Christ is going to be through the least of these, through the smoldering wick and the broken reed. And the grace of God will actually come to this body through that element of people. If you would, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want to try and illustrate it, and then I'm just going to tell you the story of, uh, of our daughter Emily, and that's really all I have to say today. I hope through this passage and our testimony, you'll, you'll know more what I'm trying to communicate to you. The passage is 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read it carefully and expound on it just a little bit and then tell you our story. Paul writes to a fractured church at Corinth, a church that is sensual, a church that is materialistic, a church that sues one another, a church that uh, has problems controlling themselves, particularly with their liquor, a church that has meetings that sometimes do more harm than good. And he writes to this church and he says, now about the gifts of, uh, I'm going to start at verse 12, actually, chapter 12, verse 12. He says, now as the body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is in Christ. For we all were baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would, for for that reason, not stop being part of the body. That's an important statement that Paul makes. He says, because, uh, some will say, because I am not part of the body, that doesn't mean they aren't part of the body if they don't feel as though they are a part of it. He says, it would not stop for that reason being part of the body. In other words, if you have an individualistic identity in Christ, you're still part of the body, even though you may not feel it. You might feel it's just me and Jesus. You're still a part of the body. You just don't know your identity yet. You really don't know who you are in Christ unless you know who you are in relationship to the rest of the church. 
And it might be that you're just a broken person with a broken identity and you don't feel that you have a part. And if that's you, you still don't quite know who you are in Christ yet. You still don't know that God wants to use you in his body. The text goes on to say in verse 16, and that the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. That's really an important statement. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. No one in the body of Christ could say to any other person, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. Do you see what Paul's saying there? Those parts of the body that a culture might deem weaker, those parts that are more unseemly, Paul says they are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no divisions in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part of it rejoices with it. This is a picture of one body all feeding on the grace of God. This is a picture of those who are strong understanding that the parts of the body that are weak are actually indispensable. And I think that's the premise of Elam from what I've seen. And I think that's what the Holy Spirit seems to be speaking to this church, I think rightly so, in what God is doing in you. I'm so grateful, I'm so privileged that you're letting me get up here and be a part of this series that you're doing because I really think it is the heart of the kingdom of God that we would reach out to the least of these. Sandra and I got married when we were young. I was 21 and she was 20 years old. In fact, um, today is our 35th wedding anniversary. Yes. I've aged sufficiently enough to, the, to where she looks like my daughter now. And we had two children. We started early. We were married five months when we got pregnant with our oldest son, Nick. Uh, three years after that, our daughter Meredith was born. And then in 1991, we were married in 1984. In 1991, our third child, Emily, was born. We have four children. Our youngest is 22. Emily was born in 1991, uh, and we knew about six and a half months into the pregnancy in utero that something was desperately wrong. We went in for a routine ultrasound. The physician doing the ultrasound said, 
this just doesn't look right to me. We said, what do you see? She said, I really don't think I'm qualified to comment. They sent us down to the largest and best hospital in the St. Louis area, Barnes Jewish Hospital, and we went to a special ultrasound unit, and uh, we were probably down there for three hours that day in excruciating emotional turmoil because we knew something was profoundly wrong just looking at the faces of the ultrasound technicians. Finally, uh, one of the cardiologists came in to sit down and meet with us. He said, your daughter has a profound heart defect. Her pulmonary valve is gone. She's absent her thymus. We suspect there's some kind of a syndrome going on, and your daughter has a 10% chance of survival. Uh, And if she does live, her quality of life will not be very good. We suggest that you terminate the pregnancy at seven months. And there was that quality of life issue. There was that 10% survival chance. Um, We were far more interested in this child living and we would leave the quality of life up to the Lord. So we went ahead and we went through with the pregnancy. And she was born uh, early. Uh, they induced labor because her heart was just not going to last that long. It was extremely stressed. So when Emily was born, they whisked her out of the room. I mean, immediately after she was born. And there's so many testimonies. I don't have time to give you those today with that. But they whisked her out of the room immediately to the ICU unit. They intubated her to fill up her lungs because uh, her heart, absent that pulmonary valve, uh, was causing the pulmonary artery to be three times the size it should normally be because it was fielding all the pressure and it broke down her airway. So one thing led to another and they intubated her immediately and she went to the ICU and at two weeks old she had her first heart surgery to put a new pulmonary valve and do three or four other things that were to help her heart. Soon after that, they said she probably has a syndrome. At that time, it was called DeGeorge. It's now called Q22. It's a deletion in the 22nd chromosome. And like all syndromes, it causes this constellation of abnormalities. And so there's a lot of different things uh, that Emily has that we deal with as a family. Uh, She was in the ICU for nine months. She had a second heart surgery uh, at six months, and she had her third heart surgery at 16 years old. And probably within the next two years, she'll have a fourth pulmonary valve put in. Uh, Thank God for the technology that we have. This next time, it'll probably be through the groin that they'll go in and actually replace that valve. She has been in and out of the hospital multiple times, and we brought her home after nine months in the ICU to have her home only for two days when she had an RSV virus, and then we took her back. And that's kind of been the story with them, you know, to go from one thing to the next, to knee operations, to all kinds of different things uh, with them. Her, her mental capacities, of course, were diminished when she was in utero because of lack of oxygen to the blood, oxygen to the brain. And so she has a diagnosis of autism as well. But it's actually what's known as an encephalopathy or it's, it's brain damage because she didn't get enough oxygen to her brain in pregnancy. And so we've dealt with that all of these years. She's 28 years old now. It's been a shadow over our family. It's profoundly affected our marriage. It's profoundly affected her relationship with her three siblings. It shaped us as a people. 
And I stand before you today, not as a victim, but one of the happiest people you'll ever meet. I am really a joyful person. I really have a good marriage. I have a great relationship with my kids. And while life is more difficult for Sandra and I, I want to tell you what, our life is really good. And I wouldn't trade it with anybody in the world. But M has also had a profound effect on our church. When Emily um, was first born, our church just served us. And, uh, and in some ways, she might have seemed like kind of a drain at first because so many resources went to help us with her when she was younger. But as she aged, aged and she got into school, Emily's special needs began to open up opportunities for the body of Christ. When she was in grade school, Emily met a a little girl named Sammy who was a couple years younger than her. Sammy suffered from uh, Williams syndrome. It's a different kind of syndrome, syndrome, but also has profound implications for those who have it. Uh, Sammy's mom decided that Sammy needed to be baptized, and she didn't know of anyone that would baptize special needs people. So she came to us, and we began a relationship with Sammy and her mom and her dad. It wasn't long afterwards as we began to talk to Sammy and her mom that we realized Sammy's need to be baptized was a gateway into us to share the gospel with Chase and Tanya, her parents, and to see them come to Christ and to see Sammy baptized in Christ. Now, for those of us who are sticklers with the doctrine of baptism, I want to tell you this. I don't know cognitively how much Sammy understands about baptism, but we baptized her. I'll leave that for all the Calvinists and Arminians to sort out, but we baptized her. And her family is dear friends to us and have been a big part of our church since then. When Emily got into junior high and in early high school, she met a girl named Annie. Annie had Noonan syndrome. And Annie wrote a letter that said, I want to come home and play with Emily. Annie functioned higher than Emily did. And she kept sending these notes to us. And we couldn't quite, at first we didn't know who they were from, but we kept seeing these notes in the bag. I want to come home and play with Emily. So eventually we asked the teacher and she said, well, Annie's this girl and Annie's mom also has the same syndrome, and she's one of the few people in the state of the Missouri who has a special need herself. They both have Noonan syndrome, but she has custody of another special needs person. They were quite unique, and we developed a relationship with them, and soon after meeting them, we uh, were invited to Annie's birthday party, and we went to their house, and it was roach-infested, and it was squalor, and it was miserable, and it was tragic, and the Lord put it on our hearts to adopt this family, which we did. Sharon now comes to our house about once every six weeks. We've done this for years, and she spends the night at our house. She comes to church with us. She lives about 50 minutes away, but ours is her church. We raised money, and we got them out of that apartment into a much better apartment. And we began as a church to love on Sharon and Annie, who both came to Christ and were baptized. Annie died at 22 from her syndrome with the full knowledge that she belonged to Jesus Christ. 
Um, Sandra and I were there with Annie when she passed. Uh, we were the ones who said, you need to pull the plug now. Sharon had given us permission to do that. And now whenever Sharon comes over, we talk about Annie, and we rejoice that Emily's still with us, and we rejoice of the day when we will see Annie and Emily together. I remember uh, one day, uh, we, we had a meeting like this, and I was preaching, and uh, one of the caregivers that brought Sharon and Annie to, the, to our worship service uh, lost track of Annie, and she came in right in the middle, and she stood up in front of everybody and just said, I'm here. <laughs> At Annie's passing, I said, I cannot wait for the day when we're all before the Lord. And Annie interrupts it and announces she's here. <laughs> Sharon's still a big part of our church. She comes in Sharon's grief over this funeral, and she was deeply grieved by the loss of her daughter. It seems so unfair to her. Um, Sharon was allowed by her caseworker to, to have another caseworker bring her the 50 minutes to our church. I mean, she lives quite a ways off. And so Sharon began coming in. The caseworker that Sharon brought was moved on the compassion with which our church loved Sharon and with, with which she loved us. And the caseworker's name was Jen. And Jen was going through a lot in her life. But as she began to bring uh, Sharon every week, she realized that she was missing Christ in her life. And that was the most important thing that she needed more than anything else. And it wasn't long after that that Jen came to church and was baptized as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ through Sharon, through Annie, through Emily, through Sammy. And always at our house, when it was Sammy or Emily or Sharon's birthday, we would all get together and we would sing songs and we would rock back and forth and we would play the same songs over and over again incessantly and we would do all those things that make so much sense to autistic people and we would just rejoice and we still do that today, although Annie is not with us and although... Sammy, at 24 years old, is battling what might be terminal breast cancer. I'm telling you, it's a special group of people that bring us, and you know this, Glenn, they bring you before the throne of God. And so, Jen came in to the church. She was baptized. She's still in the church, a vital part of the church, and she said to us, I've seen the way that you guys have reached out to Annie. And I wonder, could you help me? I, my dad, Richard, has a terminal kidney disease. And he can't get to the doctor. I can only take him sometimes. Jen herself has the same disease. And she said, could you help us? So we started rallying people to take meals to Richard's house. And we started taking him back and forth for his dialysis. Richard came to Christ and it really began to testify in the last year of his life, had a meaningful relationship with Jesus and profoundly impacted every person that would take him back and forth for his dialysis three times a week. Richard has gone on to be with Jesus, but he's gone on to be with Jesus as a member again of the body of Christ and saved. <laughs> Richard's wife, Paula, 
had not gone to church for many years because Paula had just been disillusioned with church. And as we began to reach out to Richard, Paula said, I think I want to be part of this body. And Paula started coming to Christ. And I don't know whether Paula was a believer or not a believer at the time. I suspect she was a believer that just came home through Richard, through Sharon, through Jen, through Sammy, through, through Emily. Paula is a part of our church now as a widowed, and she's beginning to bring a new person to church whose wife died after 45 years of marriage, who's now coming and fellowshipping with us. Jen has gone on to marry a man in our church who had a felony conviction, got out of jail, started to rebuild his life, and we thought, there's no way this guy's ever going to find love again. And the guy's really walking with the Lord. He's a fantastic man. But as you, some of you may know, if you've got a felony conviction, our culture is rough on you. And that's what happened with this guy. And they are in the church now married. And Jen has got this beautiful life because of the grace of God through M, Sammy, and all the rest. I think you can kind of see the chain as it goes. Our church has been profoundly changed, and I would say that there is no one individual who is responsible for more people being part of our church than Emily. But how, how is that? You could say, well, look, it's just Emily was the opportunity. And I guess that's kind of my point with special needs people. They are the opportunity. They are the conduit. They do something with us. They change us as we minister to them, as we take care of them, as the body of Christ joins with them. What happens? The body of Christ grows in grace, and it grows in love, and it grows in power, and it grows in strength, and we find out who we really are. Some of you... Some of you, and I I mean this in a good way, this is a good thing. Some of you will say, when I want to know who I am in Christ, I get out 10 scriptures and I say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that's true. You are, and you need to remember that. You need to recite that. Some of you might say, he's called me to be the head and not the tail. And you need to remember that. You need to recite that. Some of you might say, I am beloved of the Lord. Yes, you are. But you know what else you are? This is part of your identity in Christ. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 5. He says, we who are in Christ, in Christ, though many are one. Part of your identity that's vital for you to know, part of your identity in Christ is to know that you are part of a larger body. You're going to know who you are. Your identity is going to be a participatory identity as you give yourself to others in the body of Christ and you give yourself to the smoldering wick. You're going to find out new things about yourself. You're going to find out that you're stronger than you thought you were, that you care more than you thought you could care, and that you could do greater things than you thought you could do. And you're going to do that through the conduit of the least of these. Our culture says the best way to grow the church 
is to do surveys in the community. I'm not opposed to these things. To do surveys in the community and have everything look right and honor the most beautiful people that you can in your uh, ads and on your billboards and all the other things that you might want to do. And motivate those who have money to come because we need money in the church, right? And build with the special people. The kingdom of God says this. Go after the poor and the needy and the blind and the captive. Because as you take the kingdom of God to them, the Holy Spirit will bring the kingdom of God from them into his church. And we will be a transformed people. I love the way that Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 12. Those parts of the body that we deem less honorable are in fact indispensable. Emily is an indispensable part of my family, of my life, and of Main Street Church. Sharon is an indispensable part. We've graduated three people, or two people rather, into the kingdom to come, the church victorious, and we may have another soon. It's heart-wrenching, absolutely I cannot explain to you how heart-wrenching it is for me to see her friends, she's 28 years old, to see her friends passing in their 20s. You know that, Glenn. It's hard. I would have told you I couldn't have done it a few years ago. But the Lord continues to amaze me by what he does through the least of these Emily, a bruised reed, not only bears the image of God, but has meaning and purpose in her life, and that her life has been woven into my life, Sandra's life, my children's life, and her caregivers' lives, and it impacts all of us. This is the way she brings meaning and purpose, not only to herself, but to our whole community. Our lives are weaved together for the glory of Christ. Our identity is not individualistic, but rather, as Paul says, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Living word, you belong to the bruised reed. You belong to the smoldering wick. The kingdom of God does not just come through these least of these but it comes from them. Both the giver and the receiver in the kingdom of God are equally blessed and both are recipients of the same grace. We are equally blessed and recipients of the same grace because there will come a day when you will stand before the Lord and he'll and you'll say, Lord, why should I be with you? And he'll say, Matthew 25 tells us, because you gave me drink and you gave me shelter and you gave me care, and you cleaned me when I was an adult, and I needed a sponge bath, and you took care of me when I was gross, and you fed me when I couldn't feed myself, and you sacrificed funds for me, and you gave your life for me, and you went out of your way to give me rides because I couldn't drive, and you poured yourself out for me. And you'll say, when did I do this, Lord? And he'll say, you did it when you ministered to the bruised reed and the smoldering wick, and his grace will be multiplied to you. 
how it works. They are indispensable in our lives. And I cannot imagine serving Jesus without serving the special needs community. If you are a receiver of other people's care, then take heart. You still have meaning. And in blessing you, they are blessing Jesus. Don't be afraid to ask for help. If you're not a receiver and you're a giver, be blessed that you get to give the grace of God. And if you're a bruised reed because of other things that have happened in your life, from trauma, from heartache, from pain, from divorce, from financial collapse, from your own emotional or mental weakness, it's okay. It's okay. God is with us. As one body, through one Lord, through one faith, through one baptism, the multiplied grace of God is shed upon us all. So, Living Word, I'm so proud of you guys for doing what you're doing. And I just pray that this sermon series touches you each in your own heart and that you'll begin to see the chain of grace happen more and more. I pray that your meetings will start to be interrupted more by people who uh, break in because they don't know what's appropriate, who yell and scream in the meeting, who occasionally learn some choice cuss words at her day program and bring them into the church. <laughs> which is, Emily's done that before, and in fits. Pastor, where'd she learn those words? Well, at the shelter workshop, all right? I hope so. I'm not sure. I hope that your lives will become profoundly disrupted by special needs people so that you can profoundly sense the grace of God and the indispensable, indispensable special needs people. That's my story. I hope it blesses you. And I hope that you're moved on by the Spirit to do great exploits for Jesus.